welcome back to the Founded on Christ podcast. As a reminder, uh, I have the email address, foundedonchristpodcast at gmail.com, open for submissions. Um, just had the impression, just say quickly, that it's usually relatively easy to find a recording app for your phone, in which you can use. And uh, most phones have a very good recording mic in them. Obviously, we use our phones to talk on all the time, and it uses that same uh, technology, that same equipment uh, to record, and it usually works, works well enough. So if you're feeling the prompting to do so, but you're a little worried about how that process works, I'll let you do. I do most of my recording using just my phone and a recording app, and that's usually about all we need uh, to get going. So, getting started this week, as I have uh, dived into my degree of choice, (laughs) uh, as I've been trained as a graphic designer, I have discovered that there is a lot of power in words. As a graphic designer, we usually try to hone in on concepts of things that we want to design. We want to make sure that the, the things we design are saying, communicating, I guess you could say, uh, what we want them to communicate effectively and usually uh, uh, in, a, in a pleasing way to the eye, right? And so as such, I have found that I find myself looking a lot at uh, definitions of words and uh, you know, the thesauruses getting words you know that have similar meanings but maybe come across different ways because the way things are said and how things are said are important but as i've gone through some projects i have gravitated i've really loved the word reclaim and redeem uh, both of those uh, have strong religious ties uh, reclaim may be a little bit more neutral and redeem a little bit more naturally it's a little bit more spiritual because we know that one of the titles of the savior is redeemer and in some ways savior and redeemer are kind of synonymous but they definitely have different connotations as well but thinking about the word reclaim just some of the definitions first to retrieve or recover and in parentheses, something previously lost, given, or paid. So something that you've acquired that's been lost, but to retrieve or recover that and retain the return of. And then the second one to, uh, like this one's really interesting because it, it puts reclaim in a very much in a, uh, a worldly sense, but it says to bring wasteland or land formerly underwater under cultivation. And I love that. Taking land that was hence... Uh, up to that point, uh, unusable, then use it for the profit of men. And uh, whenever I read that definition, I always kind of think of Nauvoo and how it was a swamp, you know, essentially, when the saints got there, but how they reclaimed the land. You know, they dug out these huge trenches out to the Missouri River to to basically drain out the swamp land. And because of that, they had this really rich uh, land that the people could cultivate and grow uh, stuff on because of how swampy it was. It was full of nutrients and became a really good uh, uh, fertile area for the saints to build. And as we go through today, I think that that uh, analogy with Nauvoo 
what I just said might become even more uh, applicable. So looking at the scriptures and that word redeem specifically, going to 2 Nephi chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. It says, Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah. Redemption, reclaim, I'm kind of using those synonymously once again, but redemption still, you can think reclaim in the same breath. Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin, to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have broken have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, for they may that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah, who layeth down his life according to the flesh, and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. So, I mean, this whole chapter, and I believe I come back to this chapter later. Yes, I do. 2 Nephi chapter 2 is going to be very important (laughs) into uh, the concept I want to talk about today. But just hold on to that. I just want to remember that redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth, and there is no other flesh that can do it. And he offereth, offereth himself a sacrifice to sin to do those things. And so, put a pin, a pin in that, and talking about what and who is redeemed, I'm going to keep going to Doctrine and Covenants, section 93, verse 36. And in that section, it says that the glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. And if you want to, a little addendum to that, verse 37, lie in truth, forsake that evil one. So there is inherently in the nature of God, the glory of God is intelligence. And I think you can look at that in two ways. Uh, one, uh, you can look at intelligence as in the building blocks for spirit children who then become uh, the work and glory, Right of Heavenly Fathers to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of men. So intelligence are the building blocks of spirits who are the building blocks of men, right? Who become the building blocks of God. So that's one way to look at it. But another way to look at this is that the glory of God is the understanding of light and truth and the mastery and control of it, right? And I don't think we'd have to go too far for, or I guess push this concept too far to realize that part of being a God is a full understanding of things, the truth. And I like, I believe it's a scripture, could be in DNC. I'm not fully sure right now. I'm just going off the top of my head, but truth is everything as it was, as it is, and as it will be. It is a full understanding. So the glory of God is a full understanding of things. So Breaking that down a little bit, what does it mean to have an understanding of something? Well, 2 Nephi again, chapter 2, verse 11. For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass. 
neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, neither good nor bad. Wherefore, all things must be a compound in one. Wherefore, if it should be one body, it must needs, needs remain as dead, having no life, neither death, nor corruption, nor incorruption, happiness, nor misery, neither sense, nor insensibility. So, that last part of that verse, if it were, should remain one body, it must, re, must needs remain as dead. But all things are a compound in one, meaning there's two parts, right? There's opposition in everything. And a full, in order for something to be fully active, it needs to have both of those parts. If it's missing a part, it is not, it is not forward moving. <laughs> it is dead. It is not a concept. I have always been really drawn to the concept of the yin and the yang. And yes, this is Asian mysticism a little bit, but I would say that all, all religion has seeds of truth because all religion is based off the religion that was taught from Adam to his children, and it has aspects of it. And so the yin-yang, if you're near a computer, you don't know what I'm talking about, you can easily Google it, but the yin-yang is a symbol. It's a concept that is also uh, shown in a symbol that it has, it's a circle which has strong religious significance. If you understand the circle, eternal rounds, uh, uh, eternities, uh, the, you know, the glory of God circle is, is very much an illustration of heaven or higher things. But the yin and yang has the circle divided into parts, white and black, uh, positive and negative. And, uh, maybe I'll just, I'll go ahead and read the definition here says, an ancient Chinese philosophy, yin and yang, is a Chinese philosophical concept that describes how obviously opposite or contrary forces may actually be complementary, interconnected, and interdependent in the natural world, and how they may give rise to each other as they interrelate to one, to one another. So, this idea that these two things are interdependent. Yes, they are opposite, but they also require each other. They work with each other for their, you know, whatever it is to move forward, to be an action, a force. All right. So coming back to this, what's being redeemed, who's being redeemed. I want to focus really all of this to, to the point of saying that this is why Satan is not going to win in the end. This is why we know that the light will prevail. It's because all things to be understood, they require light and darkness, right? The Savior, through his grace and power, he's able to cleanse and redeem our fallen actions, and to make them better than what they are, and to use our fallen actions for our benefit if we turn to him. This is why repentance is the main aspect of what we're supposed to be teaching at all times. And repentance, there's, it's impossible to come unto Christ without having some aspect of repentance. So I may, maybe I'm getting a little lost in the weeds here, but let me, let me put it this way. I want someone, you know, everyone who's listening... Think of something that they have repented of. 
I, you know, I have a few things that, you know, I come straight to mind. Some of them I'm still working on. Some of them, you know, things are a little bit more in the past. But I want you to think about how, when you turned that thing over to Christ through repentance, how that action, that, you know, those set of actions, that habit, whatever it was, how the Savior was able, through his grace and truth, able to cleanse that action of all its negative aspects, to to pull the poison and the sting out of it, and to reclaim that from you, you know, to, to take that, sorry, take that from you, so that you can then reclaim those actions for good. And then all that you're left with after you go through the repentance process is the learning and the understanding of how it brought you closer to the Savior, how that repentance process became a price you paid to understand his grace and truth. Now, let me be very clear. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ do not want us to sin. They would never choose that action for us. That is not something they want. However, they understand the aspect of what we live in. They understand that the process of moving ourselves from a child of God to Godhood requires learning. It requires experience. It requires the ability to mess up and then to have somebody, you know, in this case, our our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, cleanse those learning experiences of their evil doing and to leave us with the learning, the empathy, and the the forward momentum that those actions can provide for us. So, this, even Christ himself, this is part of what he was. (laughs) Um, We talk about, you know, the atonement Christ had, well, let me just read that. Let's, Doctrine and Covenants 122, verse 7 and 8. And this is going to reinforce these concepts, both in us, but also in Christ himself. It says seven, and, and if thou shouldst be cast into the pit or in the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thy enemy, if the heavens gather blackness, and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that these things shall be shall give thee experience, and shall be for thy good. The Son of Man hath descended below them all. Art thou greater than he? So in order for Jesus Christ to ascend and to become like Father through the atonement, that last step, you know, as he moves forward and, and receives his coronation as the next Father for the next eternal round, he had to descend below everything in order to rise above everything. Christ had to become full of light and truth. Uh, And he was full of it. You know, he he had received and moved forward as he, he received grace for grace, right, as he went through his life. But it wasn't fully completed until he completed the atonement, in which case he became fully acquainted with the darkness. He knows fully well how the dark and the bad operates. And because of that, he fully understands how the light and the good operate. And so I have found in my life, the intelligence that I've gained has come in different ways. Sometimes 
I am given light and truth. I'm giving more information. And then I, I take that, I learn it. I, you know, I infuse it into my spirit. And then along with that, the Lord will at, then at later time give me some aspect of the darkness that goes along with that. Not to saying that the Lord, you know, puts me in dark places, but the fact that all, all things are compound in one. To understand the light so well, I need to understand the dark well, right? So for some of us, we've, through our life experiences, come into much more darkness first. We've come in contact with the yin, Y-I-N, more than the yang, the negative aspect of life. We've, maybe we've, you know, we've gone off the beaten path. We had to experience some of these horrible things for ourselves. And we come back to the Savior and maybe we feel unworthy. Maybe we feel downtrodden because of those things. But when they're turned over to the Savior, that negative aspect, the, the understanding of the dark, becomes this foundation that the Christ can then build and give you the light with it. But it only works if the atonement is involved. It only works if the Savior is allowed to cleanse those things. And so... I want, like, there's there's an aspect of this. You can find this throughout the scriptures, but I want to talk specifically uh, about Alma the Younger. Now, we know that Alma the Younger, he grew up under the tutelage of a prophet, uh, but he had a rough, you could say he had a rough teenage years, right? He rebelled against God. He was waiting in the darkness, right? He was very much in the yin of the aspect of life. But... He, through, you know, the prayers of family, because, you know, of, of, of the person that he was, he qualified for intervention from an angelic messenger who brought him about to the knowledge of things and had him come unto Christ. And going to verses, let's see, Mosiah chapter 27, verses 28 through 29. Well, let's go to 27 through 29. I say unto you, unless this be the case, they must be cast off. This I know because I was like to be cast off. Nevertheless, after waiting through much tribulation, repenting nigh unto death, the Lord in his mercy hath seen fit to snatch me out of everlasting burning, and I am born of God. My soul hath been redeemed from the gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity. I was in the darkest abyss, but now I behold the marvelous light of God. My soul was racked with eternal torment, but I am snatched, and my soul is pained no more. And I... Not sure exactly where it was, but basically it might be in the same chapter, but he says, as, as deep as my pains were, so was my joy. And if you read between the lines there, you can see that he is, he is teaching this aspect of compound in one. He had gone so far off into the darkness. He was in the gall of bitterness. And yet, when he turned to Christ, when he went and supplicated to him, all of those horrible things were cleansed of their, of their poison and they were brought about for his benefit. They, it, it was because of his, his interaction with the darkness through his own bad choices, the Lord, when he turned to him, was able to give him that much light as well. And then, just to go along with this, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins 
be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. And I like this because I've never noticed this. Well, recently I noticed this. That he's saying, though your sins be as scarlet, they, referring to the sins, shall be white as snow. I thought that was interesting. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool. And for me, this was just another testimony that Christ is saying those horrible things that are the scarlet letters of your life, they can become cleansed and they can become use, useful for good in, in the work of, of this life, in the work of this planet, in the work and glory of God, if the atonement is brought into place. I was, I guess to close this out, I was at a meeting uh, and I heard someone give a talk and he was talking about how he was grateful for the experiences he's had, especially his experiences with sin. So going right along with this because of how it gave him empathy at, in his current calling to go to people who were experiencing some of the similar things that he went through and to talk to them about how I understand to some degree, what you're experiencing here, because I experienced it. I am able, you know, he was able to, in a small way, step into the role of the Savior to the Lord delegated that ability to him that he could then go and help somebody who was struggling with the same thing. I want to testify of the, of the greatness and the glory of our Savior. I want to testify of the atonement, the redeeming and reclaiming nature of it, and how beautiful that aspect of the atonement is and why it is so ingenious the plan that heavenly father brought forth for us and and how important the role of the savior was for us i testify that my sins the the worst aspects of myself that i hate have been brought to bear for good because of the Savior. That because of the reversal of course that he brought about through his grace, those things have been able to be used for good. That my sins were very scarlet. They are white as, as snow. And I am not done. Do not get me wrong. I recognize more sins. Uh, it's become a process of praying and getting laundry lists of things that I need to work on. I encourage everyone to go through that process. Uh, repentance is continual because the upward path of ascension is continual. And until we are as Christ is, we will have to continue to repent. And then when we reach that point, we get to turn around and help others do the same with that, I remind everybody to seek his face continually. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.